The patient that I'm thinking of is a gentleman in his late 80s. He was referred to me by his cardiologist because he had about a 15-year history of complaining of not being able to sleep. And it had really gotten to the point where he was desperate. He had tried all of the sleep hygiene approaches. He tried all of the pharmaceutical approaches and nothing was working. And he was really kind of at his wit's end, which is a very common kind of situation that my uh, clients come to me. It's like they've exhausted everything else. And so cannabis is like the last resort. And a lot of times they are quite shocked about how effective it is for whatever their particular complaints are. So anyway, this gentleman hadn't been able to sleep for 15 years and it took us a while to find the right protocol for him, but it was basically using primarily CBD with some THCs. This gentleman who was, as I said, in his late 80s, was not looking to get stoned, was not looking to escape or anything like that. He just wanted to fall asleep and stay asleep. That's all the man wanted. And I've been working with him now for a couple of years. And he is so thankful that he can now fall asleep. You know, he used to tell me at the beginning, that not only could he not fall asleep, but it would torture him because his wife, as soon as her head hit the pillow, she was asleep. On today's program, we're talking about the medical use of marijuana. It has been the most rewarding area of nursing I have ever been in because people actually get better. Legal now in almost 40 states, it's still illegal at the federal level, where it's listed as a Schedule One drug right next to heroin. Medical cannabis is being used by millions of Americans and for a wide variety of conditions. Cannabis is basically a treasure trove of medicinal benefits. A lot of people, you know, kind of take it to the extreme of, well, this must be snake oil because how can the same medicine work for seizures as it works for pain, as it works for insomnia? We'll try to shed some light on the whys and wherefores today on the Hear Me Now podcast that comes to you from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. I'm Sean Collins. Glad you're with us. Susan Marks is a certified family nurse practitioner. Her work focuses on the medicinal use of cannabis, and she joins me now from her home in Nevada. Nurse Susan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. I appreciate the invitation, Sean, and I'm really looking forward to this discussion. I am too, because I have, I have a lot of questions, and I'm sure listeners who are choosing this program have questions too, so you're providing a real service. I think I want to dispense with a little bit of um, medical glossary information first. If a listener is really familiar with the difference between THC and CBD, you can feel free to skip ahead two minutes and we'll pick up with uh, a little bit more interesting material. But to begin with, Susan, why don't you 
explain the difference between those two compounds that are found in cannabis, THC and CBD? Absolutely. So the primary difference between THC and CBD is THC can cause that stone feeling, the, the feeling of being intoxicated, whereas CBD does not have that intoxicating effect. So there are about 150 different compounds or cannabinoids in uh, cannabis. THC is one, CBD is one. CBD is the most popular. It's the one that most people are familiar with. Um, and they, it's, it's important to understand that you can get the medicinal effects of cannabis without dealing with that intoxicating effect. All you need to do is adjust the amount of THC uh, that's part of your protocol, and uh, you can take full advantage without worrying about being impaired. Can people trust that when they go to a dispensary that what they're buying is unadulterated, it's well measured, and they can trust what the contents of the product is that they're purchasing? Uh, it depends on the state that you're buying the cannabis in. For example, in California, it's very highly regulated. So every product that's on the shelf in a dispensary has been lab tested by a third party to determine exactly what the potency is, what the cannabinoids are that are in there, to make sure there are no pesticides, no heavy metals, no bacterias or molds, and it's a very clean product. Unfortunately, we can't say the same thing about a CBD product that is sold over the counter. In other words, products that are sold outside of the dispensaries that you can find in the grocery store, even in gas stations, um, because the FDA does not regulate supplements. And that's basically what they classify CBD as. So um, I always tell people that the most reputable brands do the third party testing, even though they are not required, and they will post those results front and center on their website. So it's very easy to find out exactly what it is that you're taking. And I tell people, if there's no lab report, do not take it because you have no idea what you're taking and it could be harmful. Hmm. I do have questions that I think a skeptical listener would be asking. And one of them has to do with the sort of long laundry list of conditions for which cannabinoids are being touted as, as a useful treatment. And somehow that seems kind of unbelievable that so many medical conditions can be treated by it. How is it that that's possible? Well, it, and it's, it's very easy to understand why people have that kind of skepticism about it. Um, I myself was skeptical until I did my own medical research on it. And basically, um, the, the way cannabis is able to interact with all of the different systems in our body and therefore all the, the different diseases that can take place within those systems, for example, your nervous system, your GI system, your etc. So um, 
your endocannabinoid system is your body's largest neurotransmitting system. So what that means is it's the system that communicates with every other system in your body, from your skin to your bones, to your GI tract, to your brain. So, and the, the role of the endocannabinoid system is to maintain homeostasis, to maintain balance and health. So for example, if somebody has autoimmune disease, their immune system is running amok. It is way overworking what it should be doing and it's attacking our own cells and you know, destroying tissues, et cetera. So the endocannabinoid system's job is to go in there and bring down that immune system response so that it isn't destructive like that. So basically, we produce our own endocannabinoids. They're called anandamide and 2-AG. And basically they are almost the identical molecular structure of THC and CBD. So when we ingest cannabinoids, we're basically supplying our body with the cannabinoids that it's unable to produce enough of because our bodies are being bombarded by stresses, by sleeplessness, by um, pollution, poor diet, all of those things that disrupt the body's health. The body is constantly trying to deal with, you know, through the endocannabinoid system, but we just can't produce enough of the anandamide in the 2-AG. So when we ingest the cannabis, the anandamide or the uh, endocannabinoid system has enough of those compounds so that it can assist the body and help the body's own wisdom on how to heal itself. And it does it holistically. Mm. It's really quite amazing. Cannabis is basically a treasure trove of medicinal benefits. A, a lot of people, you know, kind of take it to the extreme of, well, this must be snake oil because how can the same medicine work for seizures as it works for pain, as it works for insomnia? You know, back in the good old days uh, when cannabis was not prohibited, it was a natural part of our diet. The hemp was fed to animals, we ate the animals, we ate, you know, hemp products, etc. So we had a natural supplementation of these cannabinoids. Then with the prohibition that basically that spigot got turned off. Right. When we ingest um, cannabinoids, does that downregulate that endogenous source of cannabinoids? Mm -hmm. Well, it, it depends. So, for example, if, uh, if you have a condition like I do, so I got into cannabis because I have a neurological movement disorder and I shake. I have pretty serious shaking and tremoring. So that's a genetic disease that will never go away and it's actually progressive so it gets worse over time so i will never be able and i was on anti-seizure medications to keep my tremors under control um, which the side effects were horrible which is why i got desperate after trying all of the western medicine approaches and that's when i found cannabis and i learned that they were using cannabis 
in pediatric patients for seizure disorders. They were using it in MS and Parkinson's disease for the dyskinesia or the abnormal movements. And I thought, well, hell, it, there was nothing about, you know, essential tremor, but it seems to fit. And sure enough, I have been off of my anti-seizure medications now for about six years, and I only use uh, cannabis to manage it. Mm. So, so in my situation, I am dependent on it for the rest of my life. Now, if you have uh, a condition, let's say you have uh, irritable bowel syndrome and you use the cannabis to heal your gut and you make lifestyle changes to support a healthy gut, then you won't, once the issue is resolved, if you want to get off of cannabis, there's no problem. A lot of people stay on it. In fact, when I was doing my research, before I started on cannabis, I told my husband, after reading all about the benefits of CBD in terms of, you know, helping kill cancer cells and, you know, very, the, the worst kind of cancers like the glioblastomas and the, you know, triple negative breast cancers, et cetera. I told him, even if I didn't have essential tremor, I would probably take CBD anyway, simply as a health and wellness um, approach. So, so anyway, to get back to your question, um, it can downregulate if you are taking too many cannabinoids. Usually, this is um, with your recreational user, so they are using cannabis as a way to get high. So their goal is to always reach that certain level of high that they have before that they really enjoyed. Now, in order to do that, they have to increase their dose of cannabis because their body becomes adjusted to it, etc. Medical patients, I've never found any medical patients who are using the right dose and it's managing symptoms. They've never had to increase the dose simply because, except for conditions like mine, which are progressive. Mm -hmm. But um, so it all depends, number one, on why you're using it and what your medical condition is that you're trying to manage. So if it's a, a genetic progressive thing, you're going to be on cannabis. If you're using it in lieu of pharmaceutical drugs, if you have a transient kind of medical condition or illness that you're trying to resolve, then there's no reason why you would have to stay on it. And in terms of downregulation, that usually happens when people take higher and higher and higher doses in an effort to reach a particular high. Hmm. This is the Hear Me Now podcast, which comes to you from the Providence Institute for Human Caring. I'm Sean Collins. Susan Marks, a certified family nurse practitioner, is my guest. And we're talking about the medical uses of cannabis. Nurse Susan, tell me about your practice. Um, what sort of conditions do people seek help with? What are they asking questions about when they see you? Uh, well, the, the majority of my practice is through referral. So either they're referred to me from their physician, so there's a certain level of trust there, or they're referred by a family or a friend uh, maybe they're my patient and they refer one of their friends to me. So we kind of get started on a little bit higher level of trust. 
um, which is a good thing because there's that stigma against cannabis. It often requires dealing with that at the very beginning. So usually what happens is I'll get a referral, we'll set up an appointment, I will go to their home or we'll do a Zoom call depending on their comfort level with in-person, you know, with the whole COVID thing. So, um, and then I do a lot of educating, uh, not only on their disease process and, and what's happening, but how cannabis will relate to what their issues are. And then I give them some guidance on what to expect because we have to figure out what the right dose is. Everybody's different. It's not related to your, to your weight, which is how most medicines are dispensed. Uh, it's more related to your metabolism. So people with a faster metabolism will need a higher dose than people with a slower metabolism. So um, although because I'm a family nurse practitioner, I can take care of patients of any age. Um, the primary, the primary um, demographic that I work with are seniors. Uh, seniors are typically on multi-pharmaceutical uh, drugs. So they're on Ambien, let's say, to get to sleep. They're on antidepressants or anxiolytics, which reduce anxiety. Uh, they're on anti-inflammatory drugs. They're on pain relieving drugs because they have arthritis or back issues or, you know, whatever it is. So to manage those five things are on five different pharmaceutical drugs because that's the nature of pharmaceutical drugs. It's one compound that deals with one issue. So if you have more than one issue, you have to take more than one drug. Right. Cannabis, on the other hand, you just need to take the cannabis and it will help you with your sleep. It will elevate your mood. It will reduce your anxiety. It is a very potent anti-inflammatory and an excellent pain reliever without the risk of overdosing like the opioids because there are no receptors for cannabinoids in our brain stem, which is different than uh, the opioids. Opioids have receptors in the brainstem, and the brainstem is responsible for keeping our heart beating and keeping us breathing. Right. So if the brainstem gets too many opioids, it shuts down, people stop breathing and they die, or else they end up with brain injuries because they haven't had enough oxygen to their brain. With cannabis, you don't need to worry about all of that. You don't need to worry about the constipation. You don't have to worry about the risk of a fatal overdose. Uh, and it's very, very effective. And especially in situations where if somebody has cancer, I work with a lot of cancer patients, you know, especially at the end of life, they're in a lot of pain and they have had treatment that has basically destroyed their appetite, destroyed their nutritional status. And when you incorporate cannabis with the THC, THC increases the appetite, it reduces the pain, and it elevates the mood. So when you compare and contrast the end of life with somebody who's on opioids, where they're basically out of it because they're in so much pain, that the opioids cause them to almost go into a 
an unconscious state versus somebody who is using cannabis and they're eating and they're drinking and their nutritional status is better and they're able to interact with their families for longer. You know, there are so many, not only medical benefits, but a lot of family interactional grieving, you know, that whole end of life uh, situation can be very difficult. And this really helps. So some social benefit in, in addition to the medicinal benefit. Exactly. Susan, what about um, patients who might be in recovery from uh, substance use disorders? Do you, do they present a challenge for uh, approaching compounds that perhaps have THC in them? Yeah, if somebody is, is in recovery, I tend to avoid using the THC. So there are certain classifications of the, of the formulas that are available. You may see a formula that says it's a full spectrum formula, meaning that it has all of the cannabinoids, all of the terpenes, everything in it. It may have a very little bit amount of THC, but I don't even like to mess with that. Um, and then there's what's called a broad spectrum where they actually remove the THC and it's strictly the other cannabinoids, none of those causing the intoxication. Um, and then of course there are isolates, which basically they have taken one cannabinoid, put it in some oil, whether it's olive oil or coconut oil and sold it that way. The isolates, generally speaking, are not very effective because you need the, the, the whole kind of conglomerate of cannabinoids in order to get the best response. Now, it's important to understand that cannabis is about as addictive as coffee and the withdrawal symptoms are about the same as coffee. So if you are a very, very uh, heavy user, like I was saying with the recreational users, they're always chasing a high. So they're taking very, very high doses, whether they're dabbing or, or you know, just taking a very high concentration of THC. If they were to stop cold turkey, they're going to have headaches. They're not going to be able to sleep. They're going to be pissed off a lot of the time, very irritable which is basically somebody who's a very heavy coffee drinker and does the same thing. Right. So, so there's no physiological like withdrawal symptoms like you have with opioids. You know, with opioids, you really should have medical supervision during the gradual withdrawal of the drugs. Um, if, if you do a very fast, um, you know, cutting off of those drugs, you can have seizures, you can, you know, can be a life-threatening situation depending on, you know, how much you are taking. But so, but when somebody has an addiction, there is certainly a psychological component to that. And to, to use THC that will trigger that intoxicating kind of feeling, it could, it could, ease them back into using whatever substance they were using before. So obviously it depends on how long they've been sober. If somebody has been sober for 50 years and 
they couldn't care less about whatever the substance was that they were addicted to. That's a little different situation than somebody who is freshly getting off of, um, of some serious uh, drugs or alcohol. In fact, they're using um, cannabis right now in some drug treatment centers. And the reason why is because CBD affects the area of the brain that reduces your cravings for sugar, for tobacco, for drugs, etc. And um, most cannabis has a fairly, fairly high level of uh, beta caryophylline, which is one of the um, essential oils that are in cannabis. Mm. And that compound also affects the brain and helps with the cravings and all. So with CBD and beta caryophylline together, it can assist people to get off of whatever it is their brain is driving them to seek. Hmm. I'm a fairly naive user of cannabis, but one aspect of cannabis that scared me was I became paranoid when I used it. Is that paranoia a side effect of cannabis itself or was it probably a side effect of some adulterant well, it could be both. Uh, cannabis, so there are basically like three different categories. One is indica, the other one is sativa, and then you have the hybrids, which are a mixture of the two. So sativas are plant cultivars that have certain terpenes or essential oils in them that can cause anxiety. Your indicas have terpenes and compounds in them that produce sedation, they're relaxing, they relieve pain. So if you were using a plant that was high in the terpenes that cause anxiety, it can even lead to a panic attack if you take too much of it. Uh, if you're using indica, you're gonna fall asleep if you're using a hybrid that has a little bit of mixture of both, then it's a crapshoot, whether you do or not. So if you're trying to avoid having uh, overstimulation, um, then you would find a cultivar that's considered an indica. And basically it means that it has lavender in it. It has myrcene in it, which is the essential oil from mangoes. There was an old, you know, hippie trick where they would eat mango about 45 minutes before they would smoke a joint because it would accentuate their intoxication and their high. And they, they always thought it was like this big hippie thing. Well, science has actually now confirmed that it's, it's, uh, it's actually an, an essential oil in the plant. And it opens up the blood-brain barrier so more THC can get up to your brain. Thanks, science. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so it depends on the, the cultivar that you're using. Back in the good old days, they put all kinds of stuff in. So it could have been that also. I don't know. But if you were to experiment now, I would recommend that you start with a very low dose of an indica or a, um, or a hybrid. I would stay away from the sativas. So like the Durban poison. And in fact, there are some um, 
there are some formulas now that I use, for example, uh, for my MS patients, multiple sclerosis. They have a very low energy. It's very hard for them to muster up the kind of energy just to do activities of daily living. So um, there is another cannabinoid called THCV, which science has discovered increases metabolism, increases energy and alertness. It actually lowers your blood sugar. It's um, very helpful in weight loss and reversing uh, metabolic syndrome, hmm. which is high cholesterol, overweight, high blood pressure, mm -hmm. yada, yada, yada. So, so anyway, I use that compound for daily use. You shouldn't use it at night because then you won't be able to sleep. But for people who are, are having a, a difficult time mustering up the energy just to get through the day, there is a, a compound that I use that is basically THCV in its full spectrum form. So there is a little bit of THC, but not enough to make you feel it. And so sativas have a, a much higher concentration of THCV. That's why it's very alerting. It's stimulating. If you take too much, it can cause paranoia. Hmm. That's Susan Marks, certified family nurse practitioner and a cannabis nurse. And she's our guest today on the Hear Me Now podcast. Let me take just a few seconds to remind providers that we're planning a webinar in the next few weeks and we're interested in hearing from you, especially if you have questions about best practices for healthcare uh, professionals and your use of social media. If that's something that interests you, give us a call in Los Angeles. Our phone number is 424-212-5436. That's 424-212-5436. Leave a message there and we'll get back in touch with you. And thanks for helping us out. Nurse Susan, you um, use the term cannabis nurse. Tell me about that and the field. It must be growing. There must be more demand for professionals who understand exactly how cannabis can fit into someone's care plan. Uh, it is a growing field, uh, which is obviously beneficial to patients, as I had mentioned before. It's a difficult road to navigate unless you uh, do a lot of uh, study and research. So um, it, to me, after being a nurse for th more than 35 years, it has been the most rewarding area of nursing I have ever been in because people actually get better. I mean, shocking that I have to say that, but usually it's just giving people one pharmaceutical drug after another. And the, the, um, when you use natural remedies more as a first line approach than generally speaking, you're going to be improving your lifestyle. You're going to be improving your bodily functions, etc. And you are prolonging any chronic diseases, etc. So um, there is a nursing uh, organization called the American Cannabis Nurses Association. It's a national association. I'm a member of it. And uh, it does a lot of educating. Now, unfortunately, it wasn't around uh, and as supportive as it is today uh, when I was starting out my journey. So mine was 
uh, more of a self-education uh, fueled by, you know, my own selfish personal reasons as to wanting to really know what this is, what's possible here. I'd say selfish and completely understandable. Yeah. And sometimes I may sound like I am, you know, preaching about it or whatever, but it has been such a life changer for me. I am so grateful that I was able to discover this. Just to give you um, an example, my brother, who is 10 years older than I am, he, you know, it runs in family, so he's had it 10 years longer than I have, and he was shaking so bad, he needed to have a a brain surgery called Mm. deep brain stimulation that they do for Parkinson's patients. And, you know, so during the day he has to turn up the little monitor that's underneath the skin in his chest if he's under stress because that's when it really shows up. But the problem is, is that the electrodes that are deep in his brain are very close to his speech center. So if he turns it up too far, he can't talk. So this is what I was looking forward to. Um, It Mm. was very, I became socially isolated before I found cannabis because I would shake so badly while I was trying to eat in a restaurant that people, you know, would start looking at me. I couldn't drink out of a glass. The water would spill out of the glass. My voice still shakes. And that's part of it as well. So anyway, I am just so grateful uh, for this plant. I encourage any nurses who who are listening to this and have any interest at all to pursue it. Um, There are so many people that need guidance and um, it's a wonderful area of nursing. Have you felt that you've faced bias in your practice? Do you ever encounter people who are distrustful of the science and of the practitioners who are helping people use it? More so in the beginning than Mm -hmm. now, because there have been a lot of mainstream Uh, For example, Sanjay Gupta did a six-part documentary on all the different uses of cannabis. So the more of those things that people get exposed to, it really kind of chips away at their bias and their uh, dogma related to cannabis and the use of it and all of the garbage that we've been fed by the powers that be on how terrible cannabis is. And it's just, you know, it's a schedule one drug. It's as bad as heroin, which is so ridiculous. It was the most widely prescribed drug in the United States until it got banned. In fact, the American Medical Association testified before Congress before they passed the Marijuana Tax Act, which basically made it prohibited and said, we should be studying this. We use this for everything and it works, but we don't know why. So we shouldn't be banning this. We should be studying it. And then they went ahead and, and, banned, and it. banned it anyway. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of money money at stake, so which is usually the case. <laughs> well, there still seems to be a lot of money being poured into both the recreational use of cannabis and the medicinal use of it. I mean, it does seem to be just a huge market now. Yeah, it is. It is. Nurse Susan, um, if someone were to reach out to you from 
outside of Nevada, are you able to write a prescription for them or do you have to be licensed in every state in some way that where you practice? Well, uh, first of all, as a nurse practitioner, it is a national license. Uh, you don't need a prescription. Um, in certain states where it's legal uh, medically as well as recreationally, you, as long as you're 21, you can go into any dispensary and buy uh, products. Um, now, in California, the taxation is so incredibly high that it makes sense for Californians to get a medical recommendation for cannabis because it cuts their tax payments in half. And the tax rate right now is around 25 to 35%. So cannabis is expensive to begin with. If you have a medical condition and you need it every single day, it becomes very expensive. So, and they don't tax any other medicines. So the, they're like throwing a bone, so to speak, mm. by allowing dispensaries to cut the tax rate in half for medical patients who have a recommendation. So if I were um, working with, I can work with anybody uh, who lives in a state where cannabis is legal, or if they're in a state where at least CBD is legal. There are some states, I think it's, North Dakota or one of the states, one or two states, they won't even allow CBD. So, but if they are, um, if they're in a different state, because the, the products cannot cross state lines, in other words, the products in California are gonna be different than the products in Nevada, unless they have a manufacturing plant in each state. Um, because the, the uh, products cannot cross the state lines. When I'm working with somebody who is outside of California or Nevada, I simply go on to um, the directory of dispensaries called Weed Maps and find the dispensary that's closest with them. I look over the medications, do my due diligence on the research of the products, and then I can recommend to them what they should buy uh, when they go to a dispensary. Mm. So, uh, and if they're in a state that doesn't allow THC, we can at least use the other medicinal um, compounds and cannabis that have no THC in them at all. Are you able to treat pediatric patients or parents put at risk? It's really, a, it's a terrible situation when kids who have Dravet syndrome or uh, Lennox-Gastaut, which is a intractable epilepsy, they're having 300 seizures a week. It causes brain damage. They're, they're really sick kids. And even the ones who have a seizure disorder that's uh, more mild than that, they go to school and then the schools basically will report them to Department of Protective Services. Wow. There's a, a physician in California who I've worked with, and uh, her name is Bonnie Goldstein. She does a lot of speaking and educating at medical conferences and things like that. She tells these horror stories of these kids who are now doing so much better from using cannabis, and then they go to school, 
and protective services is trying to take them away, the kid away from the parents because they're, you know, abusing the child. And um, Bonnie has, has to intervene and say, I have prescribed this. This is legitimate, mm -hmm. you know, and it's a travesty, really. It's tragic what happens with kids in this situation. So it is an unresolved problem. Susan, you, you read about the hoops dispensaries and other cannabis-related businesses face in their banking arrangements, of all things, because federal law still treats marijuana as a Schedule One substance. Do practitioners like yourself who work with cannabis face similar banking hurdles? We have all the same problems. We cannot get merchant services. We cannot get loans. Um, the, uh, the way it's taxed on a federal level, even if you have acquired money doing illegal activities and cannabis is still a schedule one drug, so it's considered illegal, you still have to pay tax on all of your income without re reducing that amount by your expenses. You cannot claim expenses. So it's very difficult for, you know, the major cannabis um, players like dispensary owners and things like that to, um, you know, they'll have ATMs in the dispensary for people to pull cash out in order to pay for it. Um, the, the larger uh, dispensary owners like MedMen, they have so much capital that they can basically finance their own credit uh, programs, et cetera. So uh, for, for me, um, I cannot get a checking account. I cannot have a business account. Uh, people have to pay me with a check. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's really difficult to run a business when you have no banking services. You can't get a loan. You can't do anything. It's all kind of bootstrapping it and uh, doing the best that you can. I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with us today. I've learned an awful lot and I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the time you've spent with us. Well, this has been a pleasure, Sean. I really appreciate you inviting me on this. It's one of my passions that people learn about this option not that they follow through with it, but just so they know that this is available to them and it could be a real game changer. So I really appreciate you inviting me on your show. So it was very fun for me. Susan Marks is a certified family nurse practitioner and a cannabis nurse. We reached her in Las Vegas. You'll find links to her website and social media channels on our website, hearmenowpodcast.org. On our next program, we'll explore family caregiving and the burdens and benefits for taking care of someone you love at home. The one lesson that I learned with Julia, once, once I learned it, everything became much easier, is this is her life. It's not something that happened to me. This is her body and her life, and I'm just here to try to make it as comfortable and pleasant as I can and, and make sure that she's happy and gets everything she needs. When you have a child, you go through this natural separation, you know, after when two and they start potty training and they start learning language and they become their own person and aware that they're their own self. Julia and I have never separated. 
So it's almost like I have a newborn for 30 years and that bond just gets stronger and stronger every single day. So it's not easy for me to let others in to help her. Balancing self-care and the care of others coming up in two weeks on the Hear Me Now podcast. Subscribe and be sure to be with us. Our program is a production of the Providence Institute for Human Caring. Connect with us on Twitter, where we're human underscore caring. The Hear Me Now podcast is produced by Scott Acord and Melody Fawcett. We have research help from medical librarians, including Basha Dolovska-Elliott, Seema Bakta, and Heather Martin. The executive producer is Michael Drummond. Our theme music was written by Roger Neal. I'm Sean Collins. Thanks so much for listening. Be well.